Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today, we have old pal Michael Borky, Super Talk Do It All Man, Sports Talk Mississippi 3 to 6 every Monday through Friday with our... Uh, annual end of the season look back on college football we talked about the playoff conference championship games Ole Miss and State's respective seasons the direction the two programs are headed and a whole lot more I think you'll enjoy the conversation buckle up before we get to that though, I wanted to go one quick break to remind you if this podcast is brought to you by Seaspire, it's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself a hassle by not waiting for your internet to connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online today to cspire.com home and use the promo code RIPPY at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this show, sign up for Seaspire Home Internet today and use RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. You get the first month free. How awesome is that? Can't be waiting for the internet to drop. I've got Seaspire Home Internet. It is the best. You should do it too. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. As you're listening to this, Skybox Sports Picks college basketball package has gone live on the site. This is their bread and butter. They crush it every single year on college hoops. And if you need any proof of that, they gave away their picks for free on the internet last week, Twitter, wherever else you can catch them on social media, and ended up plus 34 and a half units on the week. Yes, you read that correctly or heard that correctly. Plus 34 and a half units on the week. Trust me, if you're into college basketball, you don't want to miss this chance to profit. They mop up in college hoops every single year. For a limited time, you can use the promo code NCAAB23 for 50% off your college basketball season long picks package check them out today go online find your own picks package to fit your price range maybe you're using the bowl game package as we got college football conference championships bowl season coming up make a little extra christmas money there use the promo code rippy for 20 percent off they're the best sports handicapping service in the world check them out today skyboxsportspicks.com this podcast is also brought to you by lb's university avenue there in oxford if you're a rippy right subscriber that's rippyrights.substack.com get a free newsletter from me plus discounted meats right now if you're a Rippy Right subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue. They're in Oxford. All right, here's Borky. All right, we now welcome on Super Talk Do It All Man Sports Talk Mississippi's Michael Borky, three to six Monday through Friday, doing our annual end of the year check-in. We've got it down pat now. A little beginning of the year, college football, mid-season, bye-week, then end of the year, 
this flew by. I got to be honest. I, I I really don't actually say that every year. I was genuinely stunned. I was driving home from a wedding that we were talking about earlier before Thanksgiving after Ole Miss had played ULM. And I was like, holy shit, like this is it. Like we have one week left and this is gone. Maybe yeah. it was just me. Maybe it's whatever's happening in my life. But I felt like this football season was gone in here in a blink of an eye. Yeah, I, I had uh, the same phenomenon happen in one of my group messages after the Egg Bowl. One of the guys texted uh, just and said, that was a really enjoyable football season. And everybody else was like, oh, wow, that was the football season. That I mean, it's over. That now. was it. But, I mean, here's a cliche for you to start this off. Time flies when you're having fun. And that was a really enjoyable football season to cover on a daily basis, to talk about and, and for you to write about every day. It was it was a good team that had good like fun personalities, and it's coached by Lane Kiffin, and they played an interesting schedule that got interesting basically right away. You know, you didn't have to wait a, like a month and a half to see what they had. They got tested really early and just kept passing tests and playing big games and winning big games. And of course, they lost a couple, but that was a really fun team. Like, here's another cliche for you. Uh, shout out the office. Uh, Andy Bernard at the yeah. very last episode, you know, I wish somebody would tell you you're in the good old days when you're actually in them. That was one of those seasons where you're going to look back and think, damn, Ole Miss 2023 was like, that was a really good time that year. And I totally agree. And I think from an Ole Miss perspective, I think the reason it probably seemed like it flew by is twofold. I've talked to Weldon about this a couple of times. It was a very weird end of the season. They go eight, not eight and one or whatever they were, and then you have this kind of free shot at Georgia. And then with ULM in that SEC November bye week that I wish they would get rid of where everybody decides to play a group of five schools. And then with the current state of Mississippi State, like the season kind of was like over from an interest standpoint after that Georgia game. So it was like two weeks premature. And then pretty much all of their big home games, I get A&M was technically in the month of November, but I mean, hell, that was Halloween week leading up to it. Right. All of their home, like big home games we're basically done by the end of October. So that's probably why it felt like it flew by a little bit quicker this year. It was just a very, and it's no one's fault. It's just kind of a scheduling phenomenon. Like it's a very weird end to the season, mm -hmm. but from your perspective, you mentioned it was a fun season to cover and primarily from like the old Miss standpoint, but was it not from the state standpoint too? Because I feel like the worst thing in radio or really anything where you're having to cover multiple schools in the state is when someone's boring. Like when I was at Super Talk, Matt Lucera, that was boring. You knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to beat Arkansas and Vanderbilt. They were going to lose a couple of close games against other middle tier teams. You get the same excuses. State was such a train wreck. I'm just curious, was that actually kind of interesting from that perspective too? Because they weren't, I get it, having to go talk, go to Selman's press conferences every day would probably get boring. But where they are, given what happened to Leach and what they did with Arnett and where they're going now, was it boring to cover State at all or is it interesting? Because I actually kind of found them a fascinating case study if you take the football product away. Especially when you had to – I mean, really early on you had the, oh, this isn't going to work, is it, conversation. Uh, and, 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 you know – Did you that know really what, happen after Arizona, by the way? Was that really no, the moment? No, because they won the game. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, they, they won the game. And so you thought, ooh – you know, if five turnovers are actually just four, then maybe they don't. But still, they won the game, and it was a Power Five win. And, you know, not many people spent the offseason uh, talking about, hey, it might not work right away. I mean, you're transitioning from a legend who elevated lesser programs for two decades into somebody that's never done it before. 
also running a new offense, it might not be pretty right away. And uh, there wasn't enough of that because when it wasn't pretty right away, it was what the hell is going on. And um, it, it really got real when Andy Staples, which there was some local pushback on Andy Staples uh, and to Haydad and Robbie's credit, not from them. I mean, when, when Andy put out there, when he did a, hey, check out these buyouts, pay attention to these as the season goes on article, uh, he put Zach Arnett in there because he had a very, and they didn't have an AD when they hired him. Uh, ending, we don't need to pay this guy a bunch of guaranteed money. Uh, he'll take the job for pennies, so let's give him pennies, which is ironically $4.5 million in, in college football. That's pennies now, but when Andy put that out there, that, that became real because guys like him just don't make stuff up, and even though there were some other people that cover the program that assured their fans that there was no truth behind it and that's not real and don't believe it, that was when we started paying attention to if this team starts to struggle, th there's a reason that Andy Staples went and looked at the buyout of a first-year head coach. And it's not because he pulled it out of his rear end. And so that became kind of an interesting, if this team gets bad, are they really going to do this to a first-year head coach? And, uh, I mean, what, what are the downsides? And the buyout's really cheap, and then the team became predictable, but that's when the coaching stuff heated up. So, I mean, the, the amount of time we spent talking about football with Mississippi State this year was as little – I mean, I've been with Super Talk since 2014. So this was my ninth football season with the company, seventh with the show. And wow. we've never talked about football less with Mississippi State. So the buyout thing, when Staples reported that and put it in that, and I forget exactly which week it was in the season. It, it like seemed like for the first five, time, it was so early. It alerted a lot of people of, oh, wow, like this buyout is not necessarily what you would think it is. I, I really, I don't mean this pointedly. I would prefer to give whoever did that, whoever's in charge, whether it was Selman or Keenum or whoever credit. Well, it wasn't Selman. He wasn't there. for so Okay, so I guess it would be, I mean, it'd have to be Keenum or somebody because they didn't really I, have I think that the interim AD, I think his name is Bracky Brett. Okay. Um, that, that is a real name. It may or may not have been him, but that, that is a real name. And uh, I, it was it was one of them that did it. Yeah. Well, so that's part of what makes it weird is that they didn't really have like leadership at the time. And it's not really the fault of their own. Like Cohen leaves. They're in transition. They have the horrible tragedy with Mike Leach. But what was fascinating about that to me is like, did they get lucky or did someone have the foresight to carve out a very easy exit plan if Zach Arnett was a disaster? Because if it was a normal AD situation, I'd back up. Oh, this guy, he was actually pretty smart. This was pretty sly. They got out of this a lot easier than you thought. But when you don't have a clear AD, and we just spent you know a couple of minutes talking about like who actually did this, do you think they got lucky or someone had the foresight to be like, we can slip out of this if this goes really, really wrong? Uh, I mean, you would hope if you're a state fan listening to this, which I, I know there are some that listen to this feed, um, that you would hope it's that one, right? That they had the foresight of, you know, really don't need to pay this guy. Not even sure if it's going to work. Uh, all of this got thrown in at the, I mean, at the very last minute uh, when, when Leach passed away, coaches were already hired at other places. I mean, not only were there job openings before theirs, there, there were jobs being filled before theirs. I mean, Deion Sanders was uh, what, two weeks into his Colorado tenure when that happened. And so they, I mean, there, there was a lot of talk 
and you, you know how that is sometimes uh, about uh, Leach retiring and, and Arnett being the guy to follow anyway. Uh, but I think the contract, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just totally reading into this incorrectly, but I think the contract said that they weren't really sold on, on that being their long-term option. It was a cheap salary, the cheapest in the SEC, and the buyout was nothing. And so, yeah, I, I don't think, look, I mean, Jeff Levy is going to make the, the 15th salary in the SEC next year. Uh, so they're still not paying a whole lot into the head coach, which I understand because you didn't need to pay a whole lot to get Levy, clearly. Uh, but they uh, they very, at least I think, they they did that while essentially giving him an audition as opposed to this is our guy and we're totally buying in for the future. I'll, I'll rise for Zach Arnett. And it was the only move they could make. I mean, hindsight's like 2020. And just because it didn't work out doesn't mean it was the wrong move. Like they kind of had to do that at the time, as you just outlined, like the coaching search, coaching cycle was kind of already over. It was a really and tough the time. portal too, man. Don't forget about the portal. Yeah. And it's just a tough time for that to happen. And you can't really plan on that. It's not there like, oh, this could happen. And then all of a sudden it happens. Like, I mean, Mike Leach was wins the egg bowl was seemingly, you know, fine. Whatever people, I, I, again, I don't pretend to know like what his actual health history was at that point but like no one was anticipating the fact that he would not make it to the sideline the next year and then all of a sudden you have to scramble so it's a tough situation but it makes that position and that job fascinating going forward from an Ole Miss standpoint we've talked about this a couple of different times they now go 10 and 2 for the second time in three years and I'm trying to like I've always I spent the last week thinking about like what to make of it because their brand now just seems to be a program that wins a lot of football games. And as someone that has been around this since, you know, consciously since about 2000, I was like five years old, I guess that just hasn't happened a lot here. And I'm always, I've spent a lot of time thinking about like, what is this team's legacy going to be? And it may, what I've decided on, particularly if they get some of these guys back is it's the team that sets the table for whatever this new era of college football is with the 12 team playoff, more seats at the table, that's kind of what I make of this because there's also a like a lens through to look at this season. It's like they went 10 and two, but like, so what? You know what I mean? Because this force team playoff that's getting dumber by the day as we enter the final yeah. year of it. There's a way to look at it like that. You know, they beat a bunch of decent to good teams, lost the two marquee games they had against Alabama and Georgia. No shame in that. They're the two best programs in the sport. But I would that's have loved to have seen them fully healthy in Tuscaloosa, man. I would like to have seen that too. I would have liked to have seen that game in the middle of October or late October than where it fell on the schedule. But like, what do you make of them going 10 and two, what it means? And like, what do you think this team will be remembered for? So is th this isn't taking away from the job that Lane Kiffin has done, because if you win 28 regular season games in three years at Ole Miss, only beaten by Alabama and Georgia in that stretch, clearly that is a very, very good coaching job. I mean, it, you had people like Barrett Salee say that Lane Kiffin can't win big games. I'm sorry, dude. If you win 28 regular season games at Ole Miss in three years, you've won a ton of big games. That narrative is just so stupid because what's big for Ole Miss is not what's big for Alabama, and that's okay. He's done a great job. This was another really good coaching job. It seems like maturation has actually happened in terms of how he's managed the team and how they navigated the season and how he coached close games this year. Uh, so all of that is very, very true. But don't you think that this season following the last two also speaks to Ole Miss as much as it does Kiffin? Because I don't think that he's a miracle worker. I think he's a really, really, really good football coach. 
but three of the last four Ole Miss coaches have gotten to this point. Now, Houston Nutt didn't win 10 regular season games, nor did Hugh Freeze, but Houston Nutt went to Cotton Bowls, and the Cotton Bowl then didn't have the access bowl tied to it, but it's the same game. He made, they the, were he made the access bowl. a lot of games then, to your point. Yeah. He, Houston Nutt went to access bowls, and the bottom fell out because he stopped giving a crap, but he went there. Hugh Freeze went to two access bowls. Even if this year doesn't end in an access bowl, Ole Miss is going to win 11 games. Like, the floor is going to the Citrus and winning 11 games. Hugh Freeze is not a miracle worker. Houston Nutt's a disaster. Lane Kiffin's not a miracle worker. He's a really, really good football coach, though. Doesn't this tell you that you can transcend your coach at Ole Miss and win? Maybe not at the highest level, but I don't know. This this tells me that it, it doesn't take a miracle to win at Ole Miss, that, that you can and multiple guys can, and they don't have to be incredibly efficient in Hugh Freeze's case. And in, in Kiffin's case, at, at first, you, you don't have to necessarily – uh, be all about building that you're trying to win right now. and But I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm rambling because I think that people are pointing to Kiffin and the job he's done correctly, but they're not acknowledging the fact that Ole Miss is set up to be this, and they've been set up to be this. There's just been stuff getting in their way that has been self-inflicted, and they're not shooting themselves in the foot anymore as an institution or an athletic department. And look at what happens. And being pre uh, proactive versus reactive. And I, I think it's a good point, but it, it, I think it works hand in hand. Like, I think Kiffin deserves some credit for that, too. And I've I brought this up with Weldon and Chase a couple of times over the last few weeks. But hiring Lane Kiffin when they hired him and him being at Ole Miss in the era that he was at Ole Miss, where he gets here. Um, I'm not even talking about the global pandemic. That was a whole other beast in its own right. But like the NIL transfer portal era where you have this widespread change in college football where it becomes a lot harder to one build rosters maintain rosters and it puts pressures on more pressure than ever on the boosters and the fans to pony up if you want to be competitive I think the fact that he got in there and they were fun to watch in 2020 and they went 10 and 2 in 2021 forced Ole Miss to come out of its collective shell or proverbial shell a little bit and Pony up. I mean, we he he antagonized them about crowds and people staying at the games and you know even you know having a better environment. Check. They didn't guess who didn't bitch about that at all this year. Lane Kiffin, probably a reason for that. Guess he didn't really talk about being outbid and nil and all that this year. Lane Kiffin. He kind of forced them to be put their big boy pants on and pony up and kind of get to the level that they're winning at now. And so yes, I agree with you that like it kind of speaks a lot about Ole Miss as well. But like in a weird way, it kind of like took a guy like Wayne Lane Kiffin, who made them nationally relevant, who's a big brand, who won immediately to kind of get everyone to get on board, if that makes sense, too. Like, I don't want to give him like too much credit for it, but I do think it works hand in hand because like the antithesis of that is what if they hired. This is a weird example, but Dave Doran and they're like seven and five or eight and four in 2020 and 2021 is the collective yeah. where it's at. Are people excited? Is every game a sellout? I doubt it. I very seriously doubt it. And so if it wasn't someone that was winning like Kiffin, I'm not sure they would would be making this statement about how it kind of says a lot about Ole Miss and transcends the coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what do they call it in nature? What is it? A symbiotic relationship? Like yes. you've got the, the gopher tortoise that digs holes for <laughs> for uh, rabbits to survive the winter or whatever. Yeah, it's a they, they need each other. But maybe maybe the best way to put it is, Ole Miss needed Lane Kiffin to show Ole Miss what Ole Miss could be. 
Absolutely. And, and now look at what they can be. And Kiffin needed another shot at a major head coaching job. It really was in a weird way. It was like a weird marriage, but it was also a match made in heaven. I mean, they needed a splash. They needed an injection of life. And Lane Kiffin need, needed a job. Now, granted, I guess he could have had the Arkansas one if Ole Miss was not interested. But, you know, that's neither here nor there today. But Shout out to Matt Corral for that in part. Yeah, no kidding. So it was a it was a very strange and still in some ways is a strange marriage. But it's as the years have gone on, it's kind of been a perfect blend as well because they made him the brand. And if he goes, I don't want to get into the whole Lane Kiffin, where's he going to go next, next job thing. We've had talked that into the ground the last couple of years at nauseum. But like if he'd gone to Auburn or if he went to A&M or even like Florida, None of those schools would have made him the brand. He would have kind of had to conform to the weird traditions of A&M. And, I mean, I saw the uh, press conference with Elko where they're doing whatever the hell it is they do, shaking back and forth. Yeah, and I, I put on Twitter, I was like, um, now imagine them asking Kiffin to do that. And some people in the reply were like, do it. he'd have done it for the money. And I'm like, no, you you guys don't understand. He would have stood there while everybody else – had he somehow taken that job, he wouldn't have. But But imagine in a world where he would have. He would have stood still. That dude's not swaying to saw varsity's horns off. He's not doing it. He would have stood there, been the only one in the room not sawing, and it would have pissed them off so bad. That dude is never putting his arms around Ross Bjork and singing about Texas as he sways back and forth. It ain't happening. No, and he wouldn't do the booster breakfast and all that other crap at Auburn. Like, And this is not a criticism of Ole Miss, but they made him the brand. He kind of walks on water. He gets to do whatever the hell he wants. Like, there's real value in that. And I, I would always be curious if I ever, like, got a chance to talk to Lane Kiffin and, like, you know, inject some truth serum into whatever the hell he's drinking. I would ask him if, like, he values that at all and he realizes that. Because I would – that would be just fascinating to me because I just – I'm not sure how many other jobs, even if he always has his eye on kind of the next thing, if any of those places would allow him the freedom to one, be himself and two, for the lack of a better phrase, do whatever he wants, like Ole Miss has. And to their credit, it was the right move. Absolutely. And, and now look at uh, the results of that. And I mean, this season too, the way he coached this particular team, because we, we talked about going into the season, what the quarterback room could, what the quarterback thing could have become. And it didn't become that. I mean, for all the public stuff, I mean, as as we've talked about and has been talked about, you know, with Neil and Chase and, and you and, and all these podcasts all the time, Jackson Dart knew he was the starting quarterback for a very long time, long before he ran out on the field for the first time against Mercer, right? So that, that didn't become a thing. Uh, they played close games in which the team was struggling, you know, even in New Orleans, that they weren't good early in that game. And as opposed to Tuscaloosa 2021, where it was, well, it's fourth and three, and we're down seven. We might as well go for it on our 25 or whatever. He like His demeanor in the way he coached was different. And the team, I, I, and maybe I'm overthinking this, but because he didn't seemingly panic, the team didn't panic either. It, just, it, it felt like the way he coached this season, both in messaging absent the Alabama game and decision-making, was was very different than even last year and and especially two years ago. Game management for Ole Miss was very different this year. It helps that I assume that you have a reliable defensive coordinator that you trust, but still, man, he, and I mean, he gets excited on the sideline still. Did he throw a clipboard in the stands this year? I did not see one fly. No, no. It's, it seems like he's more measured this year than he has been with how he coaches the actual games themselves. 
and it was a hell of a coaching job. We were talking about seven, eight wins. Like, how does this team get to eight? Um, you know, I didn't really like go back and forth with Ole Miss fans a whole lot on this, but I did think the people early in the season that were like 10 and two, I was like, you people are nuts. Like, what do you, what do you see that yeah, I don't too. see? And as Chase had pointed out on the Friday show we did after the Egg Bowl, he thinks this is the most productive team in Ole Miss history in terms of a team that maximized its potential. He doesn't think there's a single Ole Miss team in the modern era that has maximized its potential more than this one. And I agree with him. I, and I think that's a credit to Lane Kiffin. I think that's a credit to the team, too. They have a bunch of mature dudes who are good guys that kind of bought into this whole thing and seem to like each other. And it was just a team that never really had a ton of drama. Like, even the stuff that, like, we hear that doesn't ever really, like, make it, like, public or whatever. There wasn't really any of that this year. It was just very kind of happy-go-lucky. They enjoyed being around each other. And that's, you know, if you're out there listening, that's a lot more rare than you actually think. There's all kinds of stuff that never goes public that you kind of hear. And it's like, how true is this? But there's always some kind of manufactured side drama within a, you know, 85-man roster football team or whatever it is nowadays. And they just didn't have a lot of that this year. They didn't have hardly any of it. It was just a bunch of dudes who kind of liked each other and won a shit ton of games. Yeah, and because they, they knocked all the other shit out of the way, forgive my language. But uh, I mean, any, you know, that's part of the maturation. I, I heard Neil talking about this recently, where, you know, in years past, Michael Trigg maybe gets 12 games instead of the few he got, but they, they didn't even want to give him the few that he got. And they just had to because everybody got hurt at the same time. I mean, <laughs> I said, that, that, the free scoring injury was timely for Mr. Trigg, to put it mildly. Yeah. Where does he end up? Oh, man, I don't know. With a guy like that, it's like, yes, he's a freak athlete, um, you know, great potential. But, I mean, he's not two, two and a half years into college athletics and he hasn't done anything on the field. Like, what does the potential mean? Like, what do you do? Where do you go? I don't know where he gets another chance. Um, it sounds like he can play at the highest level of Power 5 football. But, again, like, if you can't get on the field and do it and do everything you're supposed to do, then, then what does that end up being? Like, it reminds me of, like, Tate Martell or something like that. Yeah. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, dude, we're kind of tired of it. Like, you got to get it together or get out. I hope he does for the kid. I don't know him at all. But, I, honestly, I have no clue where he ends up. Do you think he drops down a level? And by drops down a level, I mean, like, non-Power 5. That would probably be smart. But, man, I mean, it's not going to work there either if, if you're not – you know, disciplined to do it, but um, that that was a decision that d does twenty twenty one Lane Kiffin make that decision? Maybe not, but I mean, it, it's still just the the fact that any possible cancer, at least on the surface, anyway, was out. I thought one of the things that he mentioned in his Egg Bowl post game presser, he got asked about like the ten wins, and I don't remember what the exact question was, but he said. This program's not for everybody. We ask these guys to do a lot. We put a lot of responsibility on them. And I think he told the reporter, he was like, even names you know, like that are not here anymore. Like there's a reason for that. Like th this is not for everybody. And I thought that was a really like low key poignant Kiffin moment to where, you know, he does run a pretty good ship. They don't have, as I've mentioned before, they don't have a lot of shitheads on in this program. Like, and the ones that do don't really last very long. And so I don't know if he does that in 2021, but I do for all the flaws of Lane Kiffin and whatever you want to criticize him for. He doesn't have a high tolerance for that, no matter how talented you are. Like if you're not kind of with the program and rowing in the same direction, like he's kind of like, get the hell out of here. And that's the general theme of college athletics these days. If you're not all rowing in the same direction, you're going to have problems. And I think he's one that's recognized that and it's paid huge dividends for Ole Miss. If you're not on the same page, get out of here. Yeah, and that's uh, that's something, too, that 
you know, the, the portal conversation is ramping up again about how college football is, is so, so bad. And this is all terrible. And every time a player leaves, leaves your team, it's, well, I can't stand this anymore. And, and I understand where some of that is coming from. I, I do, but I, I mean, there were some Ole Miss fans that the day Spencer Sanders signed were like, well, get out of here, Dart. We don't need you anymore. And so how loyal, well, when people talk about loyalty, it's how loyal are you to the guy that throws three interceptions in a game? Not not really. Uh, but on the flip side, you, you can weed out a, a lot of people that would give your program and your town and your school problems much easier than you were able to before and replace them I mean, look at Ole Miss's defense. We talked about it going into the season. We talked about it in the middle of the season. Um, I know others have as well. It's not exactly an original thought of mine, but who Ole Miss signed on defense? So maybe the portal is is making it harder for you as a fan to know your entire roster, but you would much rather have Isaac Uku on your roster th- than not, even though you don't know who he is or where he came from or, or weren't able to follow his recruiting and fall in love with him in the offseason because he joined the team in May. You want a guy like that on your football team. And so th- this this new era, if you do it right, allows schools to go get guys that you know will fit what your school is doing and have – and they're not always like this. You have guys that you sign because they're good ball players and maybe questionable off-field antics. Don't get me wrong, but it, it seemed like Ole Miss's defense especially, but the whole team was filled with a lot of really good dudes. You know, you you listen to their interviews and you're like, wow, this kid is great. Dayton Wade is – he's great. Isaac Uku is just smart and put together and, I mean, just seeming seemingly like a really well-rounded and impressive guy. And th- they were able to amass that on this team, even though it's one-year rentals in, in some of these cases. They're, they were so much more likable than some teams from the pre-portal era where – you didn't have as much of that. I don't know. I just, I don't think that it's as all bad as other people do because if you handle it like Ole Miss did this year, you can really like a, a lot of the way they put this team together. And if you do it that way, look at what you can create, even if it's quote unquote guys that aren't loyal to their school. They got the right guys that act like adults, like the Chris Marshalls and the Michael Triggs of the world didn't really last long. And they got a bunch of guys that got with the program and understood what they were there for and bought into the whole thing. And there's real value in that. I think they were smarter about the portal than they were at any point in 2022. And it paid off for them. The fact that they're sitting here 10 and two is still kind of mind blowing to me. I I didn't see that at all entering the season. It's a credit to them. And so now as you kind of enter this new era, you're going to have, it sounds like a decent amount of guys coming back, even a couple that may surprise some people. And it's like, okay, like this is now playoff or bust. And we could be having this conversation 365 days from now being like, can you believe Ole Miss, you know, combusted the way they did and this season was a disaster, but you know, they're better positioned than just about anyone else. And it's going to be a really fun year next year to kind of watch that unfold. I kind of want to get to the playoff piece of it too. Are you, Weldon and I have hit on this over and over again at this point, this is going to be like the perfect like cherry on top chef's kiss of the last year of the idiocy that was the 14 playoff. We're going to have a debate about whether Florida State should be in. You're going to have a couple one-loss teams where it's like who gets in here, whatever. It's like, hey, maybe we should have a real playoff system instead of some four-team invitation with a bunch of suits in a room. Like, I feel like this is the perfect last year for what was a really bad idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I want, I want Florida State to win close and Texas to win huge. And Oregon to beat Washington by two or whatever. And really just muddy that whole water where 
Because everybody's talking about how, well, Oregon wins in their end. Well, why? Why does Oregon get to win in their end, but why not Texas? I can't stand what I don't like about this debate, and some people don't agree with this. I don't like the subjective. I think that the decisions that they make need to be almost entirely based on resume, the the tangible, the things that we can touch and see and compare this versus this without having to use the words I think when you're doing these discussions. Now, if the resumes are basically equal, then then you do that. I don't like the discourse around Florida State right now. And again, I know some people disagree with this. I understand that quarterback is the most valuable position on the field. And I know Florida State had a good one and they lost a good one. But how valuable is Jordan Travis to Florida State? How valuable is McNamara to Michigan? How valuable is Milrow to Alabama? And are they all the same? So if one team loses a quarterback, do you knock them down a certain amount? Or is this quarterback more valuable than that quarterback? And is that one more valuable than this one? And then, well, what if they have a better backup than Florida State does? Or what if Florida State's backup is really good? And it's so hard to gauge how much worse Florida State is. I don't think that you should use it in the discussion because the subjective, to me, is flawed. The objective has to matter. If Florida State beats Louisville, they will be an undefeated Power 5 conference champion with a win at a neutral site over number 13 LSU who will have a Heisman finalist. I can't tell you exactly how impactful the loss of the quarterback is. I can tell you what I think it is. I could also tell you that I thought Michigan was going to beat TCU last year. And look at what happened. I can also tell you that the odds makers thought Ohio State was one point better than Clemson the year Clemson beat Ohio State by 30. You know, so when you're talking about well, this team would be favored. Or I, you know, Florida State, I think they're a lot worse without Travis. But but that's what I think. And I think a lot of wrong things all the time. And the oddsmakers are really good at what they do. They don't get every game right. So if Florida State goes undefeated, we should not have a debate whether or not they should get in. With or without the quarterback. They went undefeated. They won every game they played, including their conference championship. They have to get into the playoff over a team that lost a game albeit Texas with a win over Alabama and that neutral site loss to Oklahoma, they didn't win all of their games. And how do you know that Texas's schedule is more difficult than Florida State? I, I, I don't know. It just, the subjective bothers me. The results have to matter in this format makes it to where the results can't matter. And that's what's so wrong with it because why is Oregon winning your end, but Texas not explain that it makes no sense. And you can't explain it without getting into subjective and subjective is often wrong. We'll get back to Michael Borky in just one second. But before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. 
Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Borky. Yes, it, it you nailed it with the last part of that too. I want Florida State undefeated to be left out and not for the reasons that you think i want to do it so i can make fun of this sham of a system i have no ill will to florida state i think if they win the game on saturday they should clearly be in the playoffs so with that out of the way i would actually kind of find it funny and halfway root for it if they didn't make it because you're just underscoring just how terrible of a system this is you have an undefeated team that lost a quarterback late in the year and if you leave them out of a playoff when they won every game they played, then what the hell are we doing here? Why are you playing the football games? Like this whole thing is just so silly. And the fact that we're having the discussion around everything that you talked about is the whole problem in the first place. And I get the other side of it under this current system. And you talk about the four best teams and you can go best, most deserving, whatever there's gray area in the middle. Would I prefer to have like a Texas or a Washington or an Oregon, depending on how that PAC 12 championship game turns out, over Florida State in the playoff with the backup quarterback from an entertainment value standpoint? Sure. But that's not really how this is supposed to work if an ACC team goes undefeated. And that's the whole silliness in this. It's like, what are we doing? Like, what are we talking about here? What if like every other level of football, we just had a normal playoff instead of this weird four-team invitational? I, I don't get people like that. And as I've mentioned before, the – the anti-expansion guys have now just backed themselves all the way full circle on their take all the way back to actually the BCS was awesome. And that to me, when someone says that, like Barrett Silly, I'm like, all right, this guy's waved the white flag. He's broken his own brain so much with this take. He has no other option. We're now going back to computers deciding this is a good idea. And it's just, I don't know if that happens and they get That's the dumbest out. debate, by the way, especially after seeing this year. So let's pretend for a second, Georgia wins, Michigan yes. wins, Washington wins. Pick, pick two. Pick two and make that fair. It's th that's stupid too. And then the, 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 why do you like the playoff games with the four teams have been terrible. You really want more of this? Like, dude, what are you talking about? I love the fact that game day has had the, the projected 12 team bracket uh, throughout the course of this year. Like what it looks like next year. How does anyone that claims to be a college football fan, look at that bracket and look at the matchups. I think I saw like in, in Ole Miss Washington or something the other day, it was like the five day. It would be Ole Miss, Ohio state and Columbus. Why would you not want to watch that? I don't understand. You want less football and you want less seats at the table and the idea that you're probably going to get less compelling games because you're having to subjectively pick four teams? Or would you like to go see Washington play at Alabama or Ole Miss play at Ohio State? Uh, I would say sign me up for the latter. Yeah, exactly. And to your point, and it's a good one, the playoff has not – the worst part about college football is the postseason. That is the worst part. And it's we, not that's because the they expanded games. it from two to four. It's no. because they decided on that. Yes. It, it's th those are the worst games every year. And I, 
I hear the people that talk about the diminishment of the regular season. We have a listener of the radio show. His name is Chase in Columbus, and he is a hero because he has triplet four-year-olds. He and his wife, I don't know how they're living. He's yeah, I good dude. He hates playoff expansion. And what and anytime it gets brought up, he will send us messages after messages of why it doesn't make any sense. And I, I love Chase to death, but he's he's so worried about games like Ohio State, Michigan. Well, that game gets reduced some. Man, Ohio there's State. There's so many Michigan others has, though that would be elevated. There's so many others that would be elevated. And very rarely would Ohio State, Michigan be two of the four best teams in college football. That's happened like five other times in the history of the rivalry. Like that that phenomenon that happened this past Saturday is rare. That is the exception, not the rule. The rule is more likely you've got one team that's somewhere in the top five and another that's somewhere in the top 15. That's usually what that game is, and most every game on Rivalry Weekend is. And I'm sorry if I'm I'm totally fine with Ohio State-Michigan mattering a little bit less to make the Egg Bowl matter more, to make Virginia-Virginia Tech matter more, to make North Carolina-NC State matter more, to make Florida-Florida State matter more, to make Texas-Texas A&M matter more. I mean, you can add so many more games to this that matter more with expansion than, oh, no, Ohio State-Michigan won't be great at big noon kickoff anymore. It'll just be really, really, really good instead. Well, well spare me. I, I mean, I couldn't possibly uh, care less about that. The postseason has got to get changed. The best part of the NFL is the postseason. The best part of college basketball is the postseason. The best part of college baseball is the postseason. You get my point, right? The postseason is when everything is supposed to be at its best, and in college football, it's the worst you have bowl games where players are opting out of. A lot of teams just are mentally checked out, couldn't possibly care less. Now, some do, but a lot you have a lot of checked out teams and checked out players, and the playoff games are blowouts almost every single year. We might get lucky if one of the three are really good. Last year, one of the three was really good. The other two, I mean, TCU-Michigan was electric for a little while, but TCU ended up beating them pretty soundly. We had, we had one good, truly good game. In last year's playoff, that doesn't make sense. The argument doesn't hold up logically. The argument, if you expand the seats at the table and keep more teams alive for longer in the season, that there's going to be games that mean less, that just doesn't add up. And I get it, the Ohio State-Michigan, all of that, but like it just doesn't really add up across the sport. But part of the reason the NFL is awesome is half the league's still in the playoff race after Thanksgiving. Like, or t- you know, five or six of those teams, like very fake contenders and probably not making it, but they're still like very much mathematically alive. And that makes the games more compelling for yes, longer. Like Texas this year, if they get left out, if Texas gets left out of the playoff, that means they didn't have a single meaningful game after October 7th. Yes. And some of it's hindsight, but you're right. Like they, they didn't like, cause they won all of them. So what does it matter? Like, None, what are we no, doing? Not a single win after October 7th mattered for Texas this year. If they don't get it. And that's just a shame. I mean, at twelve and one, winning a Power Five for the last year of the Power Five conference championship, and like the Egg Bowl, in a, in like a weird way, it's like okay, State goes up seven three midway through the third quarter. I've brought this question up to Haydad and a couple other people after. It was like, if Ole Miss did lose, what's the message? It's just like very disappointing, like terrible loss. But like, if the twelve team playoff, it's like okay, well, if they lost this in the twelve team playoff era. They just ruined their playoff chances against a really bad team and a rival on Thanksgiving night. Like it would have made the egg ball matter a little bit more as disgusting of a product as Mississippi state was to watch. I just, overall, it's going to end up being so much better for the sport. And I'm the thing that worries me about it though, is 
again, I could have missed some sort of news story. Does anybody know how this is actually going to work? Are we actually going to have a bunch of old dudes in a room pick 12 teams? Or is there going to be some sort of automatic qualifying or anything at all? The fact that so it's a year away and we have no clue is weird to me. It was it was supposed to be six and six. So the okay. six highest ranked conference champions and then the six highest ranked teams that are not in that group. Uh, that's okay. already changing because the Pac-12 is folding after Friday night. Uh, so Friday, get it in now. Friday is the Pac-12's last football game. Which is a bummer because it was like a great swan song for the Pac-12. This was a tremendous year of Pac-12 football. Every yeah. week I'd look up on like Neil's picks. I'm like, damn, the Pac-12 has like three awesome games this week. And it hadn't been that way for a while. And I hate it. And that's another argument for yeah. another day of just like losing the regionality of college football. But yeah, soak it in on Friday. That That's it. Enjoy it while you can. You'll get uh, UCLA at Michigan State uh, uh, next year. So there you oh, go. Uh, but they're, they've already, because of that, uh, they're going to reduce it down to five, as I understand it, per uh, Dellinger's last report. Uh, the the five highest-ranked conference champions. So what you're going to get is the SEC, ACC, Big 12, and Big 10, and then whoever rises up from the Sun Belt or I guess the Mountain West now with their scheduling quirk with Oregon State and Washington. Either way, five it's plus. It's adjusted or, basically the power four in the group of five highest ranked team, basically. Pretty much. That's how it's going to work out every year, uh, especially now that teams are uh, getting rid of divisions. So their two best teams in the conference are going to face in the conference championship every year, completely eliminating like an eight and four team finding a way in. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be five plus seven. So seven at large is five highest ranked conference champions as of now. I can get behind that. And then they're like, I've seen a lot of people like, well, you're just going to be arguing about 12, 13, and 14. It's like, yeah, you will. That part will be kind of fun. But no one's going to get heated over a three-loss Arizona or something like that over like a two-loss Kansas State. Like, don't lose two to three games. That makes the argument more concrete as opposed to like a one-loss Texas somehow being left it's a out. a lot less compelling. seats at the table. Like, that it's less compelling. Like, it's more fun to argue about, but it's less heated because like, it's like, okay, then don't lose the third game you lost this right. season. You know, make everything make more sense. Exactly. Win 80% of your game. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I guess I'll enjoy this final year, but um, I don't know. It just means so much for Ole Miss, man. And that's why we spent so much time talking about it is because, look, I know that, that Ole Miss has had good years and they were fourth and, sorry, guys, fourth and 25 away from playing for the SEC championship. But th this gives so much more meaning to your season. I mean, now, now because of what Ole Miss did this year, you know, bring it back full circle with the season that they just had and who we think they're going to be returning. We got an announcement from Pegues tonight. That's big. I mean, having a veteran defensive tackle uh, who, who can make plays and be disruptive coming back, that's a big deal. And he's not going to be the last guy that announces that he's coming back to Ole Miss. I know that the thing got weird with Dart, but you're returning quarterback, possibly returning both of your running backs, returning receivers, re returning at least one defensive lineman. I mean, you, you've got so much coming back on this team. You still have to play Georgia, but it's at home. Alabama's off your schedule now. It's actually a pretty favorable-ish schedule. Uh, the Everybody kind of got screwed. Nobody worse than Florida. But if you look across the league, they're all hard. I mean, it's not like Ole Miss is any more difficult than anybody else's. So the schedule sets up well. You've got a three-year starter returning at quarterback. And we will spend now, starting today, we don't even need to see what bowl game they're going to in the, or the result of it. Starting today, you can spend as an Ole Miss fan the next eight months talking about playoff and it's not far-fetched. It's not ridiculous. It's not pie in the sky. It's not red and blue glasses. This team 
going into 2024 is set up to make the playoff. That is a realistic statement that can be a, a you don't have to stretch to get there. You don't have to, well, they can go to Athens and win. And if they do that, nope, they don't have to beat Georgia next year. They can lose to Georgia. Doesn't matter. They can lose to, are they, they're in Baton Rouge, right? Yes. They they can lose that those two games to make the playoff. They, they, so it is it's a realistic conversation. And how much better will this offseason be as an Ole Miss fan? You'll watch the portal. You see who you get. You might lose a couple of guys, but that's how it is. But what you have coming back paired with your schedule makes the next eight months so much fun as a fan. And it's real now. You've never been able to say in an offseason – Ole Miss can make the playoff this year. You've never really been able to say that. Not realistically. You can now, and it's not just Ole Miss. There's programs all over the country that get to do that, and that's such a big deal. But but right here, you get to do that, and it's year one of it. Yes, and then the, something you said about the LSU piece of it, playing Baton Rouge, maybe think of it. You're going to get the college basketball vibe a little bit, where – Always beat LSU this year after they lost Alabama. And it was like, okay, I guess rub some sweat off your forehead. Like you got seven more of these to try to survive if you want to have an outside shot at the playoff. Whereas next year, if you go down to Baton Rouge and win, you're talking about that being a feather in your cap to strengthen your resume. It's like we got a good win down there if you're an old Miss fan. Like it's it's one of those things where it's like losing is not the end of the world, but man, this is a huge opportunity to strengthen your resume in front of the committee, which I think college football needs a hell of a lot more of instead of just like, okay, if Ole Miss, let's say Ole Miss enters LSU with one loss next year. I haven't looked at the order of their schedule. That may be crazy, but just hypothetically, it's like they have not announced the uh, the order of the schedule yet. Well, if they enter Baton Rouge with one loss, like in the previous era, it'd be like, okay, well, if you lose this, you're done. Like it's over. Everything else yep. you play for will be relatively meaningless. Where in that case, it's like, okay, if they lose, they're still alive, but this is a gigantic chance to strengthen their resume to get the 10, 11, 12 seed, whatever it ends up being. And I think that'll just be. More interesting, more entertaining, and better for the sport as well. So I'm looking forward to 2024. It's going to be awesome. I will not miss this last – I'm not going to have – as we talked about Pac-12 nostalgia, I will have zero nostalgia for this last iteration of the 14 playoff. I might even just flip off my TV the entire time it's going on. I will be waving goodbye to this with very eager ears. I will not have any sort of, man, man, we're going to miss this 10-year 14 playoff era. I will not be saying that as I watch the games. Yeah, and and look, the television numbers tell you that uh, that people don't watch it either. That's what's so funny about the college football playoff is that like this will be the most watched regular season in college football history, possibly. Last year was also extremely good. The playoff games and the national championship, the championship being impacted by how lopsided the game was, that impacts total audience because of longevity. But the playoff games aren't getting watched. You've got regular season games every weekend that are just killing it. And, and the pregame shows are are killing it ratings-wise, and, and everything's up. And then the playoffs come and nobody watches. Why? Because it's not a compelling product. That's part of the reason why we're at the place we're at, right? Like, don't get me wrong. If more people watch the games, more money is to be made, more schools make money. But it's not like in professional sports where you have 32 owners being like, what do you mean ratings dipped? Like, we need to get this up. Or a commissioner that's responsible for it. Like, there's no direct party that is responsible for a ratings dip or a ratings spike, right? That's probably why we have parts of this function. There's no actual leadership in college football. Yeah, I said something stupid earlier, by the way. TCU-Michigan was a good game last year. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. But, again, I say dumb stuff all the time. That was uh, that was one. That was a really good game. But 
Um, also, I also felt like a game that lasted seven hours. I was like, how is this still in yeah. the third quarter? I feel like I've been watching this for four and a half hours. I just I just remembered that TCU put up over 50 points and just assumed Michigan didn't reciprocate, but they did. Again, very stupid. It happens. I am not a particularly smart person. It's, uh, it's okay. But uh, Ohio State-Michigan this year, regular season game, at 11 o'clock on Rivalry Weekend with other games going on, drew, if I remember the number correctly, Two million fewer people than the Michigan TCU playoff game last year. Wow. You yeah. would rather have a larger spike in that number, correct? And Michigan TCU was up from the previous years. Oh, this Ohio State Michigan game beat a lot of playoff games and a national championship game in, in years past. That's pretty wild, honestly. I would have figured it was a lot larger than two million viewers, but it kind of speaks to the problem. Complete, yeah. complete like sideways pivot. Bobby Petrino back at Arkansas. What do you make of this? Um, Sam Pittman wants to win. I, I mean, look, the, the history is there, and which which makes it really funny. But it's just another example of, you know, there's no such thing as morality in college sports, man. And, and it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so, like when Ole Miss hired Chris Beard, and you had state fans doing their thing, it's like, guys, you know, you're coach is on video slapping a woman's rear end in a bar i mean you can you can see the video i mean he got he got in trouble got fired for that you can see the video like that happened too now it's not the same as what beard got arrested for but still it's like you've all been there if you're gonna pretend that you're on a moral high horse then one day you're gonna get knocked off of that horse just to acknowledge the fact that high-level college sports is all about winning. Michigan, this super high-integrity program of Michigan, not only got caught red-handed cheating, they doubled and tripled down in their defense of it until they realized that, oh, we don't want to go to Discovery. That's a really bad idea. Let's try to salvage this. Notre Dame. I mean, what do people think about Notre Dame and the integrity and the history? This is the second year in a row where a quarterback from an ACC school has put his name in the portal with a do not contact because he already know where he already knows where he's going. How does he already know where he's going? Is it because Notre Dame is bending the rules or uh, uh, another phrase cheating? Yes. There's no integrity in college sports. If you're, if you want integrity, go watch Furman. Clay Hendricks is a great coach. He's from air force. That you, go watch them. They're in the FCS playoffs this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. That's where your integrity is. It is not with high-level college sports. And so Arkansas hiring Petrino, people made their jokes, and they should have, but it's like they want to win, don't they? Sam Pittman wants to win. He thinks that Petrino's going to help him win. Will he? We'll see. But it, it doesn't matter that he had a subordinate on a motorcycle who was engaged, and he got her a job because they were sleeping together, and he crashed the motorcycle and got fired because of it. That doesn't matter because they think he can help him win. That's college sports. And so that didn't bother me at all because I get it. It's funny. The memes are funny. The photoshops of Sam Pittman on the back of Bobby Petrino's motorcycle are really, really funny. But am I surprised that somebody would go into the well and hire a piece of garbage like that to run their offense after what he did to that school? No, it doesn't surprise me one bit. It doesn't at all either. I mean, I think you nailed it with that too. I had a uh, someone I work with today that was there in an office next to me and I heard him talking about it. I walked by and he's like, what do you think about Petrina to Arkansas? I was like, well, you have a desperate head coach who's on a flaming hot seat that has to win. And 
that's like the 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 Sam Pittman's a pretty good example of that because the alternative is what like Dan Enos you could argue almost wrecked in like Sam Pittman's entire tenure there. They had one bad offensive coordinator hire in a year that was going to have some pressure on Sam Pittman. They had a veteran quarterback coming back, defense some question marks, but you thought they could be a pretty good team. And they hired the wrong coordinator in an anemic offense. He probably should have been fired this year. It almost cost him a job, one single hire. So if you have a proven winner who's not a great guy, spoiler alert, like who cares? <laughs> this guy's trying to keep his job longer than the next year. Like that that's the only currency that matters. There is, like you said, there's no morality in this. It wasn't surprising to me at all. It didn't bother me. It just made me laugh because you know, after the whole Petrino era, you're going to have Bobby Petrino on the sidelines at Arkansas games as the offensive coordinator, not the main attraction. That is just kind of insane to me. Isn't that so funny? Gosh, man. Do you think it's going to work? I think it'll probably work. I got to see who they have at quarterback. I know Jefferson's getting in the portal, but if they have a halfway decent quarterback and halfway defensive weapons around him, he's a good play caller. I think it is going to work. If they can shore up the defense a little bit, there's no way it's worse than Dan Enos, which I know is a low bar to climb over, but like, I think it'll work. He'll be yeah. fine. I, I'm pulling up a – I was looking at this a second ago while you were making your point. Some Twitter clip came up in front of my screen where uh, Petrino went on some kind of podcast or did some kind of interview where he's talking about like Jimbo refused to even change the terminology. So the first couple of games, he's like, I'm not actually sure what play we're calling or why. Like yeah. if you actually let the guy cook, he's going to be awesome. He almost won with Missouri State in that stadium two years ago. Yeah, It'll work, don't you think? I don't know if they'll be good, but it won't be because Petrino's offense is garbage is probably the where I land on that. Yeah, and, and maybe he can convince KJ to stay. I, I love how that was reported today, by the way. And I, I know it's a little bit cynical, but when it's reported that he intends to enter the portal and it, KJ puts on Instagram, I think it was Instagram, I don't know. But, but he said, I haven't made my decision yet. And people were, oh, look, KJ hasn't made it. If he's saying I haven't made my decision, he might as well be in the portal. Because I haven't made my decision means I'm weighing my options, which means I am hearing pitches from other people. Just because he's not in the portal doesn't mean he's not being spoken to. I, there, there's a, a radio host in, in my home state that uh, it just – and I've been on his show before to kind of explain to him how this works, and just he just refuses to to get it, or, or maybe he's just being obtuse on purpose, where uh, he screenshotted something today and was like, where is the NCAA? What these people are blatantly breaking their rules. And I just wanted to say, dude, you know that this is how it goes because I've told you. You either just refuse to like acknowledge the world around you or you're being obtuse on purpose. But if KJ hasn't decided yet, he's in the portal. So that that doesn't mean anything. That's not a bonus for Arkansas or a bad for Arkansas. It's just nothing is different. It's just there's not an official designation yet. You think that's stopping South Carolina from talking to him? You think that's stopping Jeff Levy from, hey, man, you want to come run my offense? If, in fact, Jeff Levy wants him to, which I would assume he would with how good KJ is. But either way, you think that's stopping anybody? Of course not. So if he says, I haven't decided yet, that's not good news for Arkansas, as it was said at least by one person earlier today. Yeah, no kidding. One and two, it goes well beyond that. Like I've talked to enough players about this over the last couple of years and like how this some of this stuff works, particularly guys at lower levels. 
KJ Jefferson was not hit up after the Missouri game ended that coaxed him to get in the portal. KJ Jefferson was probably hit up prior to the Mississippi State game. There is back channeling that goes probably all the way back to September, where someone probably looked at Arkansas and was like, this isn't working. And he's probably gotten text messages from other programs with pitches and stuff like that as far back as September. It's just the reality of the world that they live in. What are you going to police assistant coaches? texting players on other rosters how the hell are you going to control that yeah. like it this happens at a way more rampant level than anyone wants to admit but like you mentioned if you're going to be that guy that's like where's the nsa on this it's like dude come on i can't I, what, what do you think no actually way. happens here i mean like jackson dart again i, I i'm not going to put words in your mouth regardless of the the weirdness of the kiffin coaches show announcement i expect him to be back at old miss next year changes uh, it, there, there's no reason to believe he's going to be anywhere else. I think it would be a mistake for him to leave, frankly, with, with what he's got returning and, and stuff like that. And I mean, it, it would, I think it would be a mistake to leave Ole Miss and go somewhere else at this point. You've got so much where you currently are. Why disrupt that? But again, to your point, it, 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 nothing's changed. Do you think that's stopping people from contacting him? How many schools do you so. think have reached out, reached out to Jackson Dart to try to I, get him to hit the portal? Again, this is just a guess. I don't know anything. I'd go seven or eight. My guess would have been over under a dozen. Yeah. I mean, my my dad, God bless him, my, my dad played college baseball at, at a small private college in Ohio called Wittenberg. And and everybody that – Ohio's filled with really small colleges, right? And they all grow up Ohio State fans. You know, Wittenberg and Denison and all these little small schools. So my dad's an Ohio State fan. The number of times he has said this year – if Jackson Dart was on Ohio State, we wouldn't lose a game, and we'd we beat everybody by four touchdowns. He's not wrong. I mean, he's not wrong. There there are programs all over the country that would kill to have Jackson Dart on their team. And you think just because he's not in the portal, it's stopping them from reaching out? No shot. Yes, the success just changed the realistic that, like the 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 level of realism, whether it be where he'd actually answer it and consider it, which I don't think he is. I think he's no, back next I, year. But you're you know, right. I, That's not stopping them from doing it. It's an ultimate shoot your shot. What the hell do you have to lose like, texting the starting quarterback at Ole Miss or Arkansas or anywhere else? Like, yeah. you're not going to get in trouble for it. Why not at see, least shoot your shot? What do you have to lose? See if he's not happy. If his girlfriend just broke up with him or something and he's trying to get out of town, who knows? But, I mean, we so after, after the Egg Bowl, uh, our Friday show, we got more texts about, uh, well, from state fans, Kiffin lied, so you can't believe anything he said. And and of course, I'm the asshole because I say, guys, Kiffin didn't lie. Oh, you're just a homer. You're you're just covering. Kiffin lied again. I, anyway, do you uh, think he just made that up out of thin air? He probably yeah, should have let Jackson Dart announce it. All, all, all he does is lie. He's just a liar, and that's all he does is lie. And uh, there was no truth to that whatsoever. And and Ole Miss should be embarrassed that they did that. And and how dare he? Um, that that's what you that's what the kids call today copium but um yeah i'm an old man now but i'm excited to see jackson dart year three man i i'm really looking forward to seeing because his game took a step forward it did but but man is he it just going from matt corral to jackson dart is special going back to the beginning of the podcast the good old days thing how many elite programs in college football would walk across broken glass to have Matt Corral followed by Jackson Dart quarterback their football team. 
hundred percent. And this year he took a step forward, but it also proved that he's a flawed quarterback, just like 99.99% of other quarterbacks in college football. And he had big shoes to fill, but the idea he was ever going to be Matt Corral was just never realistic, but damn, he got a help a lot closer than any of the other suitors would have been if they had tried to replace him with someone else. And I think that's what this year proved. And you can win big football games with Jackson Dart. That was my takeaway from Dart experience this year. He got better. He fended off the competition. There was never really any realistic chance Sanders was going to take any meaningful snaps. And then it's like, you know, okay, now they're well positioned. And honestly, when this portal era, having a third year quarterback in the same like system for three years in a row, that's going to be more and more rare as the years go on. And, and I assume really attractive uh, for some guys that that they're going to be after in the portal is is having a guy like him. I mean, I'm not in the locker room. I don't have contacts uh, with the actual players. But, uh, I mean, it's evident, even from where I sit, and I imagine everybody listening to this also uh, can see it. That team loves that guy. Yes. They, they play for that guy. I mean, because during the Egg Bowl, there was – it wasn't like – you know, a few weeks into the season, like at halftime of the Georgia Tech game where Dari Noka uh, opined out loud whether or not you make a change to Spencer Sanders because that's the quality stuff you get on the SEC network. Uh, but people were wondering, you know, if Dart's so badly hurt, take him out. And and my immediately after the game in the postgame uh, live stream, I was like, that right there is why you don't. Because he, despite being very clearly hurt in multiple spots of his body, and taking a really bad hit in the game, he kept that team right where they needed to be for four quarters, made a couple of plays late, and, and boom. that It was ball game. I don't know if Spencer Sanders uh, would have played any worse than Jackson Dart. Probably could have played better that night. But mentally, what you could see from through my television, what Jackson Dart was able to do, I think Chase pointed this out. What, what, what you could see when things a couple of times like could have gotten chippy and Dart gets right in the middle, hell no, go back to the huddle. We're fine. Stop. Like, like he kept the team in check and the emotions in check and made the right plays when he had to you. I don't think the team responds to anybody else in that spot. Like they did Jackson Dart. And so his numbers are like, Oh, he didn't play well, but man, without him, do they win that game? Maybe, but I'm not convinced. And then the the other part of that too is it cracks me up. You mentioned the leadership aspect. It's like he he breaks up kind of the chippiness throughout the game. Then as soon as the game is like over, like actually where he gets the first down run to seal it, he's like, I'm going to let somebody have a piece of my mind, which I think they relish in that piece of it too. It also cracks me up that he goes in the post-game press conferences, and this is not like poking fun at him or faulting him for anything. Like he is very clearly not healthy, but it just cracks me up. He goes in there week after week. He's like, no, I'm good. I feel great. It's like, dude, I've seen you walk around the last couple of weeks. Like, I know you're not going to admit it. You gained nothing by it, but like, it's just funny where he's like, no, everybody I'm saw well. you buttoning your chin strap and undoing it with just your right arm, dude. Everybody saw that you're not fine, but I admire the toughness. I admire it, but no, he wasn't fine. He had been fine for weeks, but they, they won. They're going to be fun next year. Last couple of things. Are you about, are we about to hit like a 2019 esque, like good basketball season in Mississippi? I'm not sure if Ole Miss is good yet. I was at the game last night. I thought they played really well against what I think is going to be a pretty mediocre NC State team. They get Musa Cisse eligible. There's some murmurs this evening as we record this about Brandon Murray's potential eligibility. State is good. Wait a minute. What? Hold on. Before we talk about state being good, what? 
I don't know anything confirmed. There's something on our board right now. I got a couple of texts in the last 20 minutes while we were recording this. There is a there is some whispers about potential Brandon Murray eligibility this year. I don't want to say anything that I shouldn't say or can't say. I don't actually know anything concretely, but that's certainly possible. I think that changes the ceiling for this team. I don't know how good they actually are with their current roster. Um, Mississippi State is bona fide good. I know they had a bad loss the other night. I still think they're a good basketball team. We could be entering actually an interesting winter where, you know, you guys on the radio show are like not sitting there like, please, God, get me to opening day of college baseball season. Like it's been for several years prior to that. Yeah, it wasn't that nice. I mean, uh, I enjoyed watching. I, I don't really like college basketball as a whole. I know that's blasphemy to some. I, I watch the NBA every night. In fact, I've got no the up in front of me. And I just enjoy the basketball product of the NBA so, so, so much more than college. I, I gravitate towards that. And having to watch Ole Miss every game for the last couple of years has oh been brutal. And last night, I had fun. I, I mean, we I got back from the Connerly and, and put the game on. And, like, for two and a half hours, I was like, this is fun. They, they were active defensively. And what well, their fast break points, I think the box score said five. They they got out and ran. They, they would a block or a turnover or a missed shot, and they would turn that into quick, decisive, confident offense. And so maybe it wasn't quote unquote fast break, but the style that they were playing, the defense transitioning to offense, was like quick and decisive and fun. And man, I didn't expect at any point this season to see them look like that. That looked like a real like that looked like a tournament team last night, and they won't look like that every night. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be nights where they just run into teams that are better, or they have cold shooting nights. I didn't expect to see them be that good and fun at any point this year, and they did it six games in, which is obviously a massive credit to uh, one of the best coaches in college basketball that currently coaches at Ole Miss, but also to the players too, right? I mean, that's that's a a veteran group. Uh, Breakfield and and Morrell and and Flanagan have played a ton of basketball and and it showed last night and and they deserved the way they looked after what they've been through. That was a blast, man. This state has two of the best college basketball coaches in the sport. Uh, I'm a big Chris Jans fan. I think he's awesome. Um, I think he's won it. I mean, if you look at that guy's record, that guy's won at like an absurdly high level everywhere he's gone. As has Beard, and so you kind of finally have two of the best coaches in the sport. Uh, in the same state, which like I never would have thought would have been the case a couple of years ago. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm not sure Ole Miss is good yet. I'm actually pretty confident Mississippi State is pretty good. And so it could they have a too. clear identity. That, that's they that's, the that's thing exactly with, what they are. I mean, they'll, they'll defend well. They're a little bit better offensively. I'm not totally convinced that they've transformed uh, the way some people are. I still think they're going to have to win some rock fights. Hubbard's really good. Um, You know, they'll get uh healthy again here uh in a few weeks there's some optimism that they'll get smith back um early uh, into next year as opposed to like february when when the initial injury happened but yeah they have an identity they're they're gonna and this isn't an insult they're gonna bring you down to their level and what i mean by that is their pace and their physicality and they're gonna beat you that way with with rocks instead of with bows and arrow if that makes sense uh but they're gonna win a lot they're probably a tournament team again. Uh, at least I think so. And here we are in Mississippi with two really quality basketball teams. And 
of all places, Mississippi State's going into their third year where they expect next to nothing on the baseball diamond. Yeah, I know. And I don't even know what you actually expect from Ole Miss this year. I think they'll be okay. It's a very, very wild time where you could actually probably convince me that most of the state, whether it's Ole Miss or state fans, is probably more invested in basketball season and not looking ahead to baseball for the first time in quite a while. Last couple of things before I let you go. We talked about state at the top of this podcast. I guess it'd be a decent way to bookend it. What did you make of the Jeff Levy hire? Um, I think it's good. Uh, I, I think that they – you want to talk about injecting some juice into a program. That's a place that has needed life, and they need it desperately. And uh, a Jeff Levy offense is something that you can get excited about seeing every Saturday. I mean, with all due respect to the Pirate, um, th- that that got hard to watch. Uh, for a while. I mean, uh, they won nine games, which is crazy in, uh, in 2022, but that was a hard season to watch. It it wasn't an enjoyable product. It just kind of was predictable. Predictable Every week it was the same and stale. And and they've been like that ever since Mullen left. And and there's been very little to be excited about. They haven't recruited particularly well quarterback play. I know Will Rogers has all all these passing records and stuff at Mississippi State, but everybody with eyes knows that that they, they didn't have high level quarterback play and haven't for a while. And and Jeff Levy checks a lot of those boxes. He's going to to run explosive offense. He's probably going to recruit quarterbacks well. He's going to hire a better staff than Arnett was able to because of his connections. Um, obviously, he's never done it before, and they're going from a guy that has never done it before and failed to another guy that's never done it before after. The the guy, the offensive mind, the brilliant offensive mind that's never done it before also failed. It's a risk, but it's also uh, a risk that they kind of had to take. I mean, I, I guess, you know, Summerall, Summerall, not Summerall, Summerall was um, engaged in conversation, but they got said no to a lot uh, early in the process by some of the bigger names. And, and so... Uh, them going coordinator route was not necessarily something they quote unquote had to do, but it wasn't what they always wanted to do from the beginning. And so when they got to this point, it makes sense. I mean, he's, I think he's going to be fun. Um, really dependent on who they get at quarterback out of the portal to gauge how good they're going to be in year one, but fans are going to have to be patient and the university is going to have to be patient because you can't have a short leash again after you've had it twice in recent history. So he has to have a leash, like a long leash, I should say. Yeah. Like you said, you can't really do that again. And that was what's fascinating to me is they could have ended up with way worse candidates or a way worse head coach than Jeff Levy. But then you had also presented it as like you had all this talk about like they need to hire a proven winner who's done it before. And they didn't do that. And so you can't have it both ways. Like, I think the reasonable take on that is, yeah, they probably got told no by some people that maybe they were surprised they got they got told no by, but they still ended up with a decent candidate. And I know the truth being nuanced and in the middle is a little bit hard for some people to grasp sometimes, but that's kind of initially like where most rational people would fall on this. It's like, okay, Levy will be exciting. I'm not sure he'll be a good head coach. I think he's a good offensive coordinator, but you can't do the whole, like, this is one of their top three candidates because that's I, I just find that to be objectively false yeah i agree completely i mean it's you know there there is the downside but I, state fans don't like when you say this but but it is true there had to be a counter to what lane kiffin's doing at old miss you, you can't exist in the same state and continue to be boring any longer especially going into the era where you're welcoming texas and oklahoma and the, the playoff expansion 
you you can't be you can't continue on this even with a good hire that would like build for the future you needed an injection of immediate like adrenaline or else they were going to get buried man i mean they they were getting better and more organized in NIL but w- without an exciting hire i mean it, they they really would have set themselves back this had to be a win the press conference kind of hire to some degree which i know you should never hire based on excitement you should just hire based on winning but i think they needed to do it that way did he win it i didn't watch it was he good he was good for what they needed him to be okay because he's not a particularly like dynamic speaker, right? He's yeah. he's not gonna he's not gonna get mistaken for Hugh Freeze anytime soon, and that's okay. But he checked all the boxes, said all the right things. You know, Mark Keenum reminded him that you need to win the state championship, and uh, he reiterated that fact. And um, no, he said all the right things. It's people are are really excited about the way his offense looks, and I, I, if I were them, I'd be a lot more concerned if he was getting hired out from under the Kiffin or Hypel umbrella, at least for two years at Oklahoma, it was his show and the show went well. Went really well. I mean, they were really, they had, we had really good offenses at Oklahoma and his head coach was Brent Venables. If you were hiring him right out from Kiffin's under, uh, out from under Kiffin's umbrella, I would wonder how much of that success is attributed to you as opposed to your offensive minded head coach. You know what I mean? Right. It'll be fun. I'll be interested to see it. There's a history yeah. there. The Egg Bowl may get spicy again, which will be quite interesting as Lane Kiffin is already doing that. So I'll be curious to see how that works. He is Michael Borky. I appreciate the time, my man. Go enjoy whatever's left of the Pelicans game. Are they out of West tonight? Is this starting the game? Are they middle of the game? Where are we at? No, right now? they are beating the absolute shit out of uh, the Joel Embiidless uh, 76ers right now. Okay. Well, <laughs> enjoy the fourth quarter of that beating, dude. I appreciate the time. We'll talk soon course man anytime that'll do it for our show today thanks for michael's time as always thank you for listening i hope you all have a safe and happy weekend we'll be back with weldon on sunday till then stay safe and we'll uh, talk to you soon